Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Is this weather spectacular or what? I've been loving this. I'm standing out of practice last night. We're all looking at the sky and the various colors in the sky. And remarkable. Hey, wake up today, blue skies. We're what in the low mid sixties right now. It's great. All right, before we get to uh, Tim, our play by play call of the day, the Rays get to Justin Verlander. Out of the windup, the veteran right-hander deals. There's a high drive, deep in the air, left center field. Brindley turns and looks. It's gone! Home run! Willie Adamas is homered again, and the Rays have a 4 nothing lead. You know, it was interesting. They had over 32,000 last night in St. Petersburg. And 95-plus percent of them were for the Rays. Yeah, and you're saying, "Well, you're making a joke." No, I'm not making a joke. I'm being serious. You know, they play in the American League East, so when they go down and they play the Yankees, all these Yankee fans come out. You know, people are transplanted; they moved to Florida. All you know, they play Boston. All these Red Sox fans come out. They're constantly facing other teams' fan bases who have relocated to Florida. Last night, they actually had their own crowd there, and they gave them a show. Tim Kelly, philliesnation.com, and host of the Locked on Phillies podcast. Join us. Hi, Tim. How have you been? I will be much better when there's a verdict reach on Gabe Kapler. Uh, Are you sitting there outside of Citizen Bank Park awaiting white smoke? (laughs) No, uh... I learned my lesson last year with Bryce Harper. I'm not going to sit outside the stadium anymore. (laughs) Good for you, Tim. See, that's experience. Okay, the theory would be that the longer this goes, the theory would say that that means he's going to stay. Does that theory hold water to you? Uh, My guess would still be that ultimately he's not going to return but this is drug out for 10 days, so th- that's exactly what it is at this point. It's a guess. And I-, I would say at this point, I don't think they can win. If they bring him back, even with this, if it's with an extension, they can't erase the fact that they spent 10 days weighing whether to fire him. And if they don't bring him back, it's going to be, co- be because John Middleton decided it and because it's clear that Matt Klintak, the general manager, doesn't want to move on from him. So if the owner steps above the general manager and makes that decision, uh, there's no indication Matt Klintak's not going to be back next year, but it makes you wonder about what the future of the organization is as a whole. So by dragging this out for 10 days, they've managed to anger just about everybody involved. So let's take this one step further. Sometimes this happens in college football. Where in college football, they'll say, look, uh, 
you can keep your job. I'll give you Mac Brown at Texas when he was at Texas. But you have to get rid of this coach, this coach, this coach, this coach, and this coach. Is that a possible ultimatum? No, it doesn't appear to be because Matt Gelb of The Athletic reported yesterday that the Phillies have already uh, re-signed seven coaches from their staff a year ago. Now, Chris Young, it was reported last week, is out as the pitching coach, may stay in the organization as another role. And then John Maley, the Kaplers hitting coach, was fired in August. Charlie Manuel came in. That was always going to be an interim fit. So you have those two spots open, but Dusty Watson's going to be the third base coach. By all indications, Rob Thompson's going to be the bench coach. So it's this weird dynamic where you don't know if Gabe Kapler's going to return, but you know that the overwhelming majority of his staff from a season ago is going to be back. All right, so say he's not back. What are the options? Uh, I, I don't think you should ever put yourself in a box at the beginning of a managerial search and say that this is the exact type of person we want, but whether it's conscious or subconscious, my guess would be if they move on from Kapler, they're going to go with someone that's been experienced, someone that's older, uh, right or wrong. I, I think you should cast a wide net. I, I think Buck Showalter, to me, would be the overwhelming favorite. And the reasoning is simple. He has managed in a bunch of different markets and had success. And so he has the the sway with some more, uh, I would say, less analytically inclined voters and voter or not voters, fans that are maybe not happy with how this regime has gone. But then you can also make the case then that he worked with Matt Clentak, he worked with Andy McPhail, he worked with Ned Rice, their assistant general manager in Baltimore. So this wasn't John Middleton stepping in and saying this is who we're having as manager. This was somebody that they all agreed on. So if a change is made, Buck Showalter would be my guest, and I know I'm not the first person to say that. And, and then you, you do get into other names that are experienced, guys like Joe Girardi. The, the thing is, the quicker or the longer they wait, the more these options dry up. And I think Joe Madden may dry up before the Phillies even make a decision on manager. So you have a window here where you have to make a decision and then move quickly. If you're going to stick with them, then that's a lot simpler. If you're not going to stick with them, you need to make that decision and immediately try to get a managerial search going and you're competing with seven other teams. In two years of Gabe Kapler, Give me the pros and cons of what you watched. I would say the, the pros of it are that the Phillies over the last two seasons, two years ago, I think they overachieved as a team. The problem is the, the way they got to 80 wins was very ugly, and I do think that their the perception of Gabe Kapler as being overly positive, that is something that has to be factored in to managing in Philadelphia. I would say from a cons perspective right or wrong they've lost the public relations battle on Gabe Kapler from the second that he pulled Aaron Nola with 68 pitches on opening day I think a lot of vocal people and at one point they were the minority but I think that group has grown have created the narrative on Gabe Kapler and I don't know necessarily how they erase that narrative certainly having a 10 day deliberation where you may decide to keep him or you may not that doesn't inspire confidence in Gabe Kapler so I don't think he's a terrible in-game manager I think there's times where he's gotten carried away like starting Jose Perella because of 
a, a match or him having better career numbers, even though you know Jose Perella has no chance of being in the Phillies organization next year. So smaller things like that. Ultimately, though, what this season came down to was a lot of injuries and just, just not enough pitching, and almost none of that falls on Gabe Kapler. Exactly. You have to manage around it. Look, Davey Martinez had to manage around that all the time with Washington. Now, to me, Tim, I've always been of the theory, and this is over the last 10 years, teams that win usually get career years from the the 6th, 7th, and 8th inning guys. And I think it's a roll of the dice. Do you believe in that, or is there some consistencies there I'm not seeing? No, I think you're right. If you think back to the 2008 Phillies, they got career years from Ryan Madsen, J.C. Romero, Brad Lidge. Winning with a bullpen is one of the ways you do it. Having great starting pitching is obviously good. Having a lineup that kills it like the Phillies did in 2008 is important. But you look back to the 2008 season, obviously there have been a ton since then. But as something everyone can relate to, the Phillies had a loaded bullpen that year and the Rays had a loaded bullpen this year or that year. And without oversimplifying things, if the Phillies had had a better bullpen this year, I don't know if they would have made the playoffs, but they would have probably been two, three, four games closer as opposed to having a bullpen where David Robertson got hurt. I, I mean, you can go down the list. Six-eighths of the Phillies' opening day bullpen finished the season on the injured list, and that doesn't even count Tommy Hunter, who was injured before the season even started. So do they look at certain guys and say we'll bring them back how many different how many if if you if they throw it in front of you and you know the Phillies roster when they go to spring training how many of those middle relief to set up guys would you replace or keep well Pat Neshek and Tommy Hunter both their deals are up I think I don't know what the future holds for either of those two. It's not going to be with the Phillies David Robertson had UCL surgery in August, so the likelihood of him pitching, it's not impossible next year, but it's certainly not going to be until very late in the season. Sir Anthony Dominguez left the team in May with a, a UCL issue that they said and have said repeatedly doesn't need Tommy John surgery, but he hasn't come back, so that's concerning. I think guys like Adam Morgan are going to be back. Hector Neris in some form will be back, and ultimately like you said, you, you look at the 2008 bullpen and they rolled the dice and got they hit it on some people, on Chad Durbin, on J.C. Romero, they, uh, even on Brad Lidge. I mean, you had really good pieces in there, but you got career years out of them, and the Phillies are going to have to have that happen again next year. Certainly hasn't happened in any of the recent years, because coming into this season, they looked to have a chance to have a pretty good bullpen, and it, it wasn't. I mean, a, a lot of that had to do with injuries, and the, the fact that Bryce Harper even referenced this late in the season, you had guys like J.D. Hammer and Edgar Garcia who, moving forward, may not be bad pitchers, but they just weren't ready to be pitching in high-leverage situations in a pennant race in 2019. Any other spots you'd look at? I would a 1,000%. I mean, obviously, the, the entire offseason is going to be about pitching, bullpen starting pitching, but when you go beyond that, center field is going to be in need. Oduba Herrera's suspension ends at the end of the season. Uh, you have no idea what the plan is there or what he even is if he returns. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon's 33 and coming off a torn ACL. I don't think he's in center. I think he's a left fielder at this point. Uh, Adam Hazley had a, a nice, some nice stretches, but there's still questions about 
whether his bat and his range as an outfielder, or at least as a center fielder, are good enough to be a starting center fielder on a contender and what's going to be a very good division moving forward. I don't know what the plan is with Scott Kingery. I think the Phillies would like to keep him in the super utility role. Uh, if that happens, he's an option in center. So obviously pitching is the biggest thing this offseason. Garrett Cole is a big name to watch. Madison Bumgarner, Zach Wheeler, Cole Hamels go down the list. But center field is a need that I think a lot of people haven't considered. What's your opinion of the Phillies organization in terms of the minors right now? Uh, it's obviously falling behind. I don't think that they've – there's a perception from some that they've developed no one, and uh, it's not the best time to make the Reese Hoskins thing, but they developed him, they developed Aaron Nola, they developed Scott Kingery, Adam Hazley's reached the major league level. So, you know, they're not the worst team in the league at doing it, but obviously you look around the NL East, you see Ronald Acuna, you see Juan Soto, and maybe that's oversimplifying things. But the Phillies haven't done a good enough job of developing talent. I mean, look in the postseason. You see teams that have payrolls that are a third of the size of the Phillies that have become consistent contenders. Teams like the Rays and uh, A's. You see teams, a team like the Astros that in some senses has a lot of similarities to the 2000 to 2000, or 2007 to 2011 Phillies. But they just continue to develop talent and add these pieces in, whether it's Jordan Alvarez coming in or other pieces they've sent out to be traded for guys like Garrett Cole or Zach Greinke. So uh, obviously they haven't done a good enough job, and that's another thing that they have to look at this offseason. And we point out all these holes, and for as much as it may feel like the Phillies aren't close or aren't far away, I don't know how close they are as an organization either. It's interesting, though. Soto got there at 19. How old was Acuna? That's not a lot of development time. <laughs> That's, I mean, no, but it, me, it, it, it's being able to pick your spots and, and scout the hell sure. out of players and pick now, that guys part, that, yes. that both look like they're headed to the Hall of Fame before their 22nd birthday. Well, as long as they hustle, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Ronald. It's a brick wall. you got to run. Uh, to his credit, he has been terrific since that moment. Okay, Incredible. He yeah, was terrific before yes. that moment, too. Yeah. Hey, Tim, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's great having you on. Appreciate it a lot. Tim Kelly, philliesnation.com, and also the Locked on Phillies podcast. If we get tomorrow, we'll have our roundtable. Just so you know, that News Radio 1070 WKOK does carry Shikolami football, but we're being boycotted by the play by play announcer internally. Oh. Oh, by the way, um, speaking of. Yeah. Speaking of Shikolami football, I have a promo I'd like to play for you. I could say yes. I, I could save this for the roundtable tomorrow. But I don't know if I can wait. No, go ahead, play. Okay, all right, here we go. The Shikalemi Braves play on WKOK. Shikalemi! WKOK, hello. The Braves host the South Columbia Tigers this Friday. All right. The Braves take on Holy Redeemer this Friday night. All right, go back and forth. The Braves host the South Columbia Tigers this Friday. All right, here this is. The Braves take on Holy Redeemer this Friday night. Join Kevin Hur and the Chief Dave Ritchie at 6.30 for the pregame with kickoff at 7. I mean, our voice guy. I mean, we kept... Oh, can you re-record that? It's like... 
we we did tell him it was Southern <laughs> Columbia. We 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 honestly did. <laughs> it's back and forth. Um, was that touchdown? I think it was from three years ago. All right, we'll come back with more in a moment. <laughs> Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. <laughs> Are we sure they're playing on Friday? We are now, yes. At least we have been for the last uh, two days. I still have my doubts. Yeah. <laughs> I know Dave Rich will be there. Oh, yeah. He'll get it right. Yeah. I think the other guy prepared for Southern Columbia. Or, as the promo says, maybe he's prepared for South Columbia. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> at Michigan State, Collins, the tailback, has off to a great start. Well, when a guy's a young player like that, who has freshman eligibility, he's a redshirt freshman, I believe, sometimes the veterans look around and say, uh, what am I going to do here? Connor Hayward and Ladarius Jefferson have both announced that they are entering the transfer portal at Michigan State. So now they're out. They were mostly being utilized as third-down running backs. And now they're out. Now, they still have a couple of running backs that are obviously good, including Collins. I mean, that's not, that's not the issue, but the depth is the issue. Plus, Hayward's been used on kickoff returns, so is Jefferson. But you're going, this is, we are starting to see more and more of that trend. There have been a couple of things that happened. Obviously, King, the quarterback at Houston, and the wideout, whose name escapes me, both announcing after four games they're not playing anymore. And you, do you hear what happened at Rutgers? At Rutgers, Arthur Sikowski, the quarterback, and the running back, Rasheem Blackshear, both said that they are done for the season and that they're going to redshirt. Now, what's interesting about this, if you are, let's take Rutgers' position, for example, we want a red shirt. And the same thing with Houston. What keeps these guys from going into the transfer portal? What? But the two Rutger, were the two Rutgers players, I'd be curious to find out if either one of them, or maybe n- mm. none of them did, think about that idea before uh, Chris Ash lost his job. Or maybe they woke up one morning after he well, I was think gone. this was after. Yeah. I think this was after he was gone. And they looked over and said, ah, we're going to do this. You know, I think I think what they want to see is who's the coach. Who will the head coach be? So they both decided, Blackshear and Sikowski, to take red shirt years. Then you have the Michigan State running backs, Hayward and Jefferson, both hitting the transfer portal because they were beaten out. I feel there'll be a point where a contending team for the college football playoff 
will suddenly hit a stumble and lose a couple of games. And you'll have a couple of their star players shut it down and say they're getting ready for the NFL draft. That may not happen this year, but there will be some point where I think it's going to happen. The game has certainly changed. Coaches can't speak out against it. The coaches have no freedom of speech when it comes to this because it'll be used against them in recruiting. Psst. Word has it that Sunbury Motors is extending its new Ford car, truck, and SUV sale for October. Choose from over 30 2019 Ford Escapes with savings up to $8,500. And they start as low as $17,585. Choose from 69 Ford F-150s discounted up to a whopping $17,800. Did you know that 102 F-Series trucks are sold every hour? True story. Sunbury Motors is taking seven grand off 2019 Ford Echo Sports, $7,500 off new Ford Edges and an astonishing $12,000 off Ford Expeditions. Astonished? You bet you are. This deal is amazing. Take $18,257 off a 2019 Ford Fusion lease. That's more than half price, with the plug-in hybrid getting up to 110 MPGE. SMC is Ford Motor Company's favorite dealer, which makes for the most favorable deals for you. Sunbury Motors in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, proudly serving all of Central PA for over a century. But don't tell anyone. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia. Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Great to have you with us on the show today. Yeah, that's going to be the next thing. You've already had guys... Pull themselves out of bowl games. You've also had some guys where you just get the feeling they're picking their spots. I'll play in the Penn State game. I'll play in the Ohio State game. Just, you know, I don't feel well enough to play in the other games. I mean, it's just Will Muschamp did something before the Alabama game that I thought was remarkable. Remarkable. In his pep talk to his team, he told them to basically play it all out because, and with everything they have, because this is, because it's Alabama, this will be the tape the Pro Scouts look at. That's your message to your team to win the game? Really? Is that where we are? Oh, boy. I don't know. It's really... It's bizarre. I, I just find that to be... Incredible. Now it's becoming more and more fashionable to not show up. Okay. Uh, 
I don't know. It's more and more fashionable to not show up. I love college football. I love it. And I know that it has been a tremendous gateway for certain individuals to move on to pro careers and make some coin out of it. But there's also a bottom line. And only, what, 2 to 3% make it? Okay. 2 to 3% make it. And every time you turn around, somebody... essentially overvalues themselves because they probably have somebody in their ear. I'll give you a good example. Penn State will play Michigan next week. To be honest with you, Karan Higdon, as you know, and I would, I'm pretty, you know, I'll be pretty blunt about what people can and can't do. I thought Karan Higdon was a good, not great college running back. I felt strongly Karan Higdon was not going to be a guy that was going to be a long-term solution, even a short-term solution in the National Football League. It just wasn't. Now, I have some friends at Michigan who thoroughly and completely disagree with me on that. You know, and it turned out he didn't. He's, he's a good college running back. He is not a pro prospect. Yet, he decided to forego his senior year at Michigan to enter the draft. And in a major shocker, was not drafted. I'm just using him as an example. But getting to the pros seems to be an all-consuming thing. And I understand that. Look, if, you know, look, the second you sign a letter of intent with a Power 5 school, you think that that is the next step to the pros. I understand that. And there's certain guys that you look at and say, you know, they'll probably only be in the program for three years. Completely get that. But you just feel like more and more players, and it really started with Fournette and McCaffrey, who both said, nah, we're not going to play in the bowl game. Everybody's different. And I appreciate that. But it doesn't take much for me to know what I would do. I I wouldn't in a million years personally conceive of bagging any game. Feel like I made a commitment, I'm going to keep the commitment. That's just me, but... I'm not out there getting knocked around. Carter McClain, by the way, the Rutgers quarterback who transferred from Texas Tech, this, and this is this was awful. This is you know, it's bad news. Tran- grad transferred Texas Tech to Rutgers. He won the starting job in the preseason, and guess what? It, so many injuries for him, and he has decided to retire from football. Announced it today, as a matter of fact. So you do get banged around. I know that. And the number of hits you take, I understand that. So maybe I'd have a completely different viewpoint if 
I was in that same spot. But I just can't conceive personally of missing missing a game. You know, be so nonchalant about. To me, football's the all. I mean, you talk about ultimate team games. In football, you need eleven guys to make it work. Something about being a, a part of a team that, to me, is special. But maybe it's just old-fashioned on my part. It's like missing the round table on Thursday. Same thing. I mean, no, not the same show. No. Are you sure? Possible close correlation. In other words, my my point being that they just think what they have to do in their own personal life is more important than what's good for the team. Well, other people prioritize differently than others. You're saying he has priorities. You would think. Let's us on to believe that anyway. Oh, well, there that's that's a fact. <laughs> I just think that it's going to come to the point where there's going to be somebody after game seven or eight that when their team falls out of contention, nah, I'm going to get ready for the draft. And they'll leave. I think we're getting closer and closer to that. It's it's almost to the point now where nothing really surprises you anymore about some of the decisions that are being made. Like, okay, and you just go roll with it and accept it. I mean, it's their personal decision as to what they would do. I just know what I would do. Yeah. All right. Who do we have? We have Baird from Sealands Grove on the Iowa game. Hi, Baird. How are you today? I'm great. How are you today? Doing great. Thanks for asking. Um, just if you could briefly touch on uh, the different facets of the game and how they go head to head against each other first: offense, defense, special teams, coaching, and then like maybe intangibles like home field advantage. I think home field advantage helps Iowa emotionally. I, I think it does nothing to Penn State, uh, to be frank with you. Um, you know, Penn State practices with so much noise that it doesn't bother me to go over to the defensive practice field because Brent takes them inside. So there are times where you like, I, I got to get away from the noise. It's so loud out there. So I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think Penn State speed is an issue. I think Iowa's quicker defensively than people realize. Yet they have not created a lot of havoc in the backfield. Epinesa, who is a terrific player, is a little heavier than he was last year. And guess what? It doesn't look like he has the same, doesn't get off the line of scrimmage the same as he did last year. This is me. Now, he may come out and have the game of all games. But Walker and Fries and Holmes have been playing pretty well at that tackle spot. They take Golson, who's a very good end. And on third down, they take Golson and they flip him inside and go with their version of the three defensive end package. They bring in Armani Jones. They also bring in Barrington Wade to replace Colbert at linebacker. And they also bring in Terry Roberts as the nickel. 
getting pressure on Stanley is going to be important. And Michigan did that last week, even though Alaric Jackson was back at tackle on the left side, and Tristan Wirfs, who's very good, got moved back to right tackle. But Jackson really struggled last week. I mean, Quiddy Pay did a heck of a job against him. And Penn State will need to get pressure on Stanley. Because when Stanley has a chance to throw, he's got a, just a terrific arm. And I think he's accurate, and he can make, you know, for example, a back shoulder throw. There are a lot of things he can do. But when you get pressure on him, it's not just a question of all of us knowing that he struggles when he has to make plays on the move. The key is he knows that he struggles when he has to make plays on the move. And that, that, that plays with you. Uh, number six, Marset Smith, Smith Marset very good player, and they use him in the kick return game. Reganey, another really good wideout. They use him as a punt returner. Uh, when you look at their running backs, Sargent's very good. Young's good. Goodson, the true freshman, eventually is going to be really good, and he leads all Big Ten running backs and receptions this year so far with 14. A key for Iowa the last few years has been their tight end play. Outstanding. Not so this year. Geno Stone, number nine at safety. One interception last week against Michigan. And the passer rating in his zone against Michigan last week was 0.0. He's really good. In fact, he picked off a pass and ran it back for a touchdown in Beaver Stadium last year. Also, Iowa wants to get you in third and long. They have excelled in third and long. If it's third and seven or better, opposing teams are two for 33 against Iowa this year. So I hope that gives you at least a general read on where they are. Yeah, well, it also gives them an idea of of what the first down plays are going to look like this week compared to uh, earlier in the season. Well, yeah. It's an interesting comment. Yeah. Yeah, comment, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Baird. Uh, I also found it very interesting, the comments you made about Stanley, their quarterback. Oh, it's it's very similar to the comments you made about Haskins going into the Ohio State game last week, last year, pardon me, um, yes. where he had off-the-chart um, uh, successes throwing the ball until you pointed out he got pressure. And then whenever he got pressure, his uh, success rating dropped well below 50%. And we saw that the first three and a half quarters of last year. Unfortunately, they figured it out for the, the, you know, the last eight minutes of the game. But, uh, so that's what we need to do this week and focus on that for all four quarters of the game. Absolutely. I think that's exactly what they have to do. You've got to be able to get pressure on them. And I don't think they have enough of a run game to help them. Now, usually Iowa's pretty good on first down. They're averaging 6.3 yards of play on first down. Uh, but some of that's inflated by what you do against Middle Tennessee State, Miami of Ohio, Rutgers. And I really have to put a line through the Iowa State game. When you have a four-hour weather delay right in the middle of the game, there's no continuity in the game, so I can't really tell you what that game meant, except they won it. Yeah, Shades of Michigan State a couple of years ago. Yeah. Right, exactly. All right. Well, I, I appreciate the heads-up comments, and uh, you gave me a lot of extra information to, uh, to be looking for on Saturday evening, and uh, thank you very much. I'll let you move on to your next caller. 
No, it's my pleasure to, to have a great conversation like that. Thanks so much, Beard. You too, Steve. We'll come back and uh, wrap it up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Gino Stone, John Blutarski, 0.0. Gino Stone's pass efficiency rating in his zone. John Blutarski, great point average. <laughs> Mr. Blutarski. Ah. <laughs> uh. You like Animal House references. Oh, my God. That was one of the first movies I watched on HBO after we got it in the house when I was a kid. Uh, speaking of HBO, college yeah. football 24-7 with Penn State premieres tonight. Mm. Still looking to borrow someone's user ID and password so I can <laughs> access HBO on my iPad so I can watch it tonight. <laughs> so yeah. Anyone out there wants to share, I will keep it cl- in extreme 1,000% confidence and will not share. <laughs> my goodness you are advocating stealing cable no no you sound like you're in the far corner office <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have hbo either so. <laughs> that's my point yep he did it one time but the deal the, the promotion offer ran out and guess what <laughs> he switched carriers <laughs> Well, before my son Chris got married back in June, he said, Dad, can I get HBO? I want to watch Game of Thrones, the whole thing. He got married, I can tell you right now. I was down at the Xfinity office going, we're done with that now. <laughs> I'm not going to pay for that. Home box. Gone. Yeah, I'm not going to pay for that. The funny thing is, I, I think when it comes to the game, they're probably going to use us on it. Anyway, whatever. It's, who knows? But I hope they do a good job with it. Well, I hope they show it in a positive light. I think it's a good week for them all the way through. I mean, a really good week. Oh. It's interesting because they were at practice all the time. They were actually at practice two weeks ago, three weeks ago, three weeks ago they were at practice. And they actually got a lot of B-roll that week, and the players didn't even know they were there. I just saw a couple of guys running around with cameras and just didn't think of it, anything of it, because of WPSU being there all the time. So I actually got some stuff like the week of the pit game, I think, that will probably be used in there. But so they came in here and they're out in the practice field. There were several moments where I looked over because I was looking at the offense and I looked down and there are the HBO guys and they're. Like eight of them sitting on the ground, and one guy was filming. I said, "Geez, you know the old running joke, which uh, your people are going to hate this, but the old pen dot joke." <laughs> you know, leaning on shovels, and one guy's out there doing whatever, even though the pen dot guys work really hard. But you're looking at them going, "Okay, <laughs> they got eight people here. One guy's filming. <laughs> okay." <sighs> oh well. So baseball, it's going to be Fultonevich and Flaherty, Cardinals-Braves, Game 5, and then Strasburg and Bueller tonight. 
Dodgers and Nationals. Two winners go to the National League Championship Series. Rays and Astros play tomorrow night. Pirate fans, take a good long look at tomorrow night's game. It's your game tomorrow night, Pirates fans. It's Garrett Cole against Tyler Glass now. Oh, wait, they used to be your pitchers. And they will be playing tomorrow night in Houston. See this knock about GM Neal building a team. Come on. He's finding the players. Yeah, they're finding their way to other locations. (laughs) (laughs) That's the problem. But uh, for Houston, they won 107 games, and now they're into this situation? Wow. Oh, well. That's tomorrow. Also, the Giants and the Patriots are tomorrow. Oh. It looked like a game. It's one of, and again, it's one of those games that you felt like it had promise when the season began. And now it's gone from some promise to no hope. Well, how about NBC? You know, they were thinking, oh, yeah, we could have Steelers Chargers for another primetime game. Last year was very exciting at Heinz Field. No way they thought Devlin Hodges was going to be behind center for the black and gold. Well, you know, when you look at that, there are many opportunities left to see games in Carson. Not a good enough excuse. I'm just curious what the crowd's going to be, if it's going to be 50-50 Steelers-Chargers. Oh, that, that's 70, pro-Steelers 70, crowd. 70, no, 70, 30. The, that's a pro-Steelers crowd. Pro-Steelers crowd. Cam Miller, pro football focus in the roundtable tomorrow. Ooh. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.